When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I'm about the past, I'm about the future. Welcome back to Draft Vice. Welcome back to Draft Vice. Welcome back to Draft Vice. That's right. We're here, right? And we're, we're still doing this. We're pumping it through. I'm watching the, the interviews. I'm doing the homework, Doug. And we're here to talk about the Buffalo Bills and the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. That's right. And uh, I don't know which team I like to coach more of, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Bills, right? I'm gonna not because I like them more, but I'm just gonna go with the Bills for the the starter on this, right? Because they start with the letter B, and uh, the the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They can wait, right? Let's be happy I'm doing them now. So regardless, right? We're talking about the Buffalo Bills, head by uh, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, the two lovely gentlemen heading up the. Uh, the hopefully now the new division leader in the AFC East. Well, if you're a Bills fan, if you're one of the other three teams fans, you're hoping that that's not the case. Regardless, right? They've traded away their first round pick in this draft, right? They got Stephon Diggs for a first, a fourth, and a fifth. That's not bad, man, right? They wanted a guy who's a veteran who can play now, who is a leader. And they were like, you know what? We could draft a guy in the, the 20s, but uh, he's not going to be as good as Stephon Diggs, right? So, listen, we got a guy in here, Josh Allen. He's on a rookie deal. Uh, yeah, we have John Brown and we got Cole Beasley. But those guys are more player, like they're role players. They're not true number ones. Diggs is at number one. Diggs has got talent. And you can tell because you can see the way other you can see the way other teams play their defense. They are afraid of Diggs. They weren't afraid of Thielen the way they're afraid of Diggs. Um, not that Thielen's not good, but Diggs was a whole other player. So let's talk about it, right? That was a good move. I was a big fan of it for both sides. Minnesota needed to clear some cap, need to kind of restart fresh, get some younger guys in the room. So they trade away Diggs. They get a first rounder, a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder. We'll talk about their end of that uh, on another episode. And the Bills get Stephon Diggs. No first-rounder, but hey, you know what? They uh, they filled out some of their receiving core now. They got a guy who's a truly great route runner, uh, an amazing receiver, and he's going to get Josh Allen throwing the ball five feet over his head. I'm kidding, folks. He's gotten a lot better, actually. He's gotten a lot better in the short to intermediate areas of the field, which is why I think this is a great uh, maneuver for them, right? They're in win-now mode. You want to see how uh, Allen is developing, and by getting him another receiver who's great at getting separation, another guy who's going to go ahead and dictate defenses, right? Uh, now you get to pair him up with John Brown and Cole Beasley and their backfield, who we're going to talk about in a second, but Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. You have now a very, uh, very flushed-out receiving core, if you will, very talented receiving core. So let's go. Second-round uh, pick, they get uh, A.J. Epinesa at pick 54, Right, uh, a lot of people thought this guy was going in the first round. Even they thought he was going to go in the first round. Uh, you know, as as Brandon B said it, he was shocked that the guy fell. He does not know why he fell. He's a damn good football player, says Brandon Bean. Uh, versatility, they love him. You know, he could be a three tech. He could play base defensive end. Uh, you know, he he's gotten double digit sack production multiple years, and uh, uh, he did really well in the Holiday Bowl. Uh, good measurables as far as size and length so you know Brandon Bean was very impressed with this guy you know to them he felt like he was a first round pick that they got in the second round uh you know add him to that defensive line rotation they've now made he was a top guy on their board uh where he when he fell to them which shockingly because a guy who a lot of teams thought I love at least a lot of people probably thought he was a first rounder for a lot of teams you know falling to the that spot in the second round very big deal A.J. Epinesa is, you know, you know, we saw him beat up Austin Jackson, a guy who went in the first round, right? Uh, you know, I guess they even made a point that maybe he fell because of, you know, his combine performance, didn't run a fast 40. Uh, again, like, sometimes with defensive ends and D linemen, I mean, athleticism is great, but sometimes it's about technique. It's sometimes utilizing your size and your length and your strength and your core muscles, and sometimes it doesn't come out strictly on uh, the, the spark, you know, map that they will, the little spider web. So, 
I think they were happy they got him. They now have a very deep D-line rotation. They now have a younger guy on the D-line rotation. This was kind of a need for them, like a sneaky need. Uh, you know, Shaq Lawson left in free agency. They get a couple of guys in on that D-line. You know, they still have uh, uh, Jerry Hughes. But, again, like you just want to start filling out that defensive roster. So I thought this was a good move for them. Uh, you know, again, like for them, they got a first-round pick in the, in the second round. Uh, then comes their third round pick, right? Running back Zach Moss gets taken for uh, for them, and they were actually thinking of trading up for this guy. Like when in the second round, they weren't really super eager to trade up. They were like, you know what? There's a lot of guys left on the board that we like for this spot. We're not too worried. And when AJ Epinesa fell them, they were very happy. Zach Moss, they were looking to possibly trade up. They were making calls to to get up to uh, grab him because again, a lot of the running backs just kind of disappeared by the time they were picking in the third round, and they were like, you know what? Maybe we'll call up, trade up, get uh, get our running back, be able to get our guy. Because, you know, even teams that weren't really necessarily considered running back needy teams by them were taking running backs. And there was like a, a little bit of a gap where they're like, you know, maybe we could trade up, maybe trade a fifth rounder, go up and grab him. Ended up falling to him anyway, so it was perfect. Uh, they just couldn't get up there. Uh, there were questions as maybe he uh, he fell to them because he had some injury question marks. Uh they, they're not really worried about any red flags about that. They like him. They think he's more of a power. You know, he could play outside zone. He could run gap power. He's a strong guy. He likes to take hits. Uh, good hands, can catch out of the backfield. They're more like catching in the flat and some flare-out flare kind of things. They're not, not really like, you know, not Clyde edwards lair kind of patterns. Um, not Austin Eckler kind of stuff. But like Kareem Hunt kind of stuff, like good enough as a pass catcher where you could utilize him in different ways um, and maybe hope he could develop even more than that. He did have close to 800 touches when he was in college. He has a hard-hitting style. He liked to say, like, you know, he liked making uh, defenders make business decisions when he had to play them. Kind of a, you know, good good mentality to have for a player, right? You're talking about causing, uh, you know, f football's a physical game. You want to cause some pain. This is how he's going to make you have to play, right? Um, you know, his calling card traits, you know, he's a physical zone, one-cut runner, also play, you know, pound it in the, 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 the gap scheme, very physical, good ball security, right? Probably, that was actually something that Brandon Bean mentioned, uh, was that it was the, the ball security thing was something that they really liked about him, that other guys who went ahead of him probably would have been behind them on his, on their board, so that was just something that he pointed out. Um, they did look at running back as a need, which I was kind of intrigued by because, again, Devin Singletary. But, again, I think they're looking to make this a like a one-two punch. They don't want Singletary always out there. You don't always want to have to rely on one guy in your running back core. Now you got two guys. Both guys can catch. Both guys are very different style runners. You know, Singletary's more of the shifty guy. Zach Moss is kind of the, I'm going to pound it down your throat. Uh, follow my lead blocker, take some hits. And this is also probably why Zach Moss had a very hard time staying healthy when he played in college, is he does take a lot of hits. Uh, but he is a good runner. Uh, I like the player. I, I think that they, uh, what they have around him as well. Again, like, Buffalo's got a lot of pieces there that are really nice. The fact that they thought running back was a need for them was kind of, again, shocking, but kind of cool. Uh, you know, round four, they, uh, they get Gabriel Davis out of... UCF. Um, he was the highest guy on their board when they draft him. This was one of the few times you got to hear somebody talk about as far as like GMs go, where they were like, this guy was the highest guy on our board. This guy was a need. Like there he was Brandon Bean's very uh willing to tell you that like a particular player was not necessarily as high, like maybe it was like uh like a like they, they said four of the players they picked were the highest guys on their boards. Other guys, they picked them, like, they were in the same tier, kind of. Like, they might have both been round four picks, but they were like, you know what, this guy, or, like, this guy might have been a particular pick, and they took him in this round because, uh, like, they, they had two guys similarly graded, and they would say, you know, we'll go with the guy who we think can better make the roster. Which is intriguing, because that's not something you always hear about, are guys who are better able to make the roster, right? Like, guys who fill out your roster better, um, so that was something they kept in mind. So, you know, Gabriel Davis, he was the highest guy on the board, right? Um, didn't run a variety of routes in the offense. Uh, they wanted to see his route tree. Unfortunately, uh, COVID kind of caused that, caused that to be kind of an issue. Um, 
you know, he did come out of ba- uh, came out of a similar system to Baylor. Uh, big guy has some good run after catch. Had a good year. Hands were his strong points. Get some buildup speed. Uh, wanted to work him out privately. Uh, was running routes immediately after the draft, so it was clear. Like you know, after they drafted him, he was already outside running routes in his backyard. So it, it showed that they, uh, you know, they did get to get a little bit of a look at him at the combine. They felt like that helped a little bit. They talked to his coaches. They actually got the the college to send them some uh, from practice some practice film of him running different routes that just weren't running in the scheme. So I thought that was very interesting. I thought it's it's interesting to watch the way that some of these teams do their homework on some of these players when they want to get a like a particular guy and they're trying to really investigate. They actually drafted two receivers in this draft. Uh, they also drafted Isaiah Hodgins. Both these guys were big receivers, right? They drafted Isaiah Hodgins in the sixth round. They drafted Gabriel Davis in the fourth round. And, you know, there was a, a joke that they were making. It was like Brandon uh, McDermott was calling all their receivers Smurfs. They got Smurfs playing wide receiver. Well, now they don't anymore. And Brandon Bean was pointing out, like, listen, this helps us open up our playbook. There were some plays that maybe we couldn't run in the red zone last year and wouldn't have been able to convert because their guys weren't really that tall. They weren't very lethal in the red zone. John Brown's not really a, a, a red zone weapon. Cole Beasley's definitely not a big red zone weapon. And then even Diggs, like, Diggs is a good red zone weapon, but he's not huge. He can get vertical because he's got a good le- like vertical leap, but he's not a tall guy. So now you got two big receivers who are hoping you hope that make your roster who are going to come and compete and potentially be utilized in at least some of the uh, you know red zone concepts. You know, you rotate them in on some plays. And then you also still have Dawson Knox. You have a couple of other pieces there, but now you have an option to throw in there if you need to get a big guy in there. Um, they also took Jake from State Farm, right, out of Georgia. Uh, why? Because they had him in a spot where you just can't ignore him anymore. The board fell that way. Uh, you know, Bean mentioned a lot of, like, I- intriguing aspects about him. That he's a winner. Uh, played in the SEC. as that intangibles. He's smart. Loved being around uh, the guy at Georgia. You know, um, he's going to be in that room till like, midnight uh, looking at game tape. Uh, you know, they talk to all the coaches. The guy who loves everything about the game, the process, the prep. Uh, he d- if he had a cannon for an arm or was bigger, he probably would have went higher. Um would have went, you know, probably would even went day one. They said uh, he was just too good to pass up where he was at. It was going to come in, compete with Barkley for a spot. If they keep two quarterbacks, they keep three quarterbacks. They were saying they might keep three. Um, you know, he was able to hold off Easton and Fields at Georgia. Uh, you know, he's he, he, they they even said like when he gets out of the NFL, when he gets done playing, he's probably going to be a coach in the NFL or he's going to be a coach somewhere. So. Uh, very, uh, you know, it was very interesting because it's not like the same scheme fit as maybe like a Josh Allen, but there's days where you just go, you know what, this guy's smart. Maybe he has sort of quarterback room. Um, you know, maybe you develop him and he becomes a good player. Maybe you keep three quarterbacks on your roster because that might become a thing more and more uh, as you start developing a backup. You know, Barkley, you know, maybe he beats out Barkley. Maybe they say, you know, we keep three guys and we develop from, and then next year we let Barkley walk. And now you have two guys on your roster. You have a guy who's cheap who could be a good backup, maybe even a trade candidate, and you just never know. And, again, a very cerebral guy. And, like I, like they were saying, sometimes, like, you know, if you're taking from in the fifth round, sometimes just guys fall to you, and you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of them. You don't know what the, the next step is going to be. Maybe he becomes a trade candidate down the line for a team that needs a quarterback. So... Uh, I thought that was very uh, uh, interesting. You know, he's probably going to end up being more of an A.J. McCarron in the NFL, but still, uh, not a bad pickup for them. Uh, they took uh, Tyler Bass out of Georgia Southern, uh, a kicker. Uh, I met with him at the Senior Bowl, uh, banged some live field goals, has, uh, you know, some decent leg strength. They felt like he could, you know, maybe win a spot in Buffalo. Uh, they even mentioned, like, they wanted to go into the offseason with two kickers and two punters on the roster, you know, just to compete in camp, just to make, you know, competition uh, important. You know, competition brings out the best in everybody, they were saying, uh, even if they aren't going to get rid of Steven Hauschka. Uh, round six, I mentioned before, they drafted Isaiah Hodgins, big guy out of Orange, out of Oregon State. Not the highest guy on their board, but felt better that he had a shot of making their roster. Um and for such a big guy, they mentioned that his double move 
was like probably one of the best in the the country. Like uh, Brandon Bean said, like he did not see another receiver who was so good with a double move in all the tape that he watched. Uh, drops his weight really well at the end of routes. Good, you know, it was a deep receiving class. Maybe this guy would have went higher in other years. Um, didn't see, like I said before, uh, didn't didn't see another uh, guy win a, a double moves more than he did. And it, they were saying before, a bunch of Smurfs at receiver. Everybody's really short. Uh, we need to get tall. Now we got two guys in the room who could potentially make the roster who can get tall. They also took Dane Jackson out of Pittsburgh. Uh, several players at similar at different positions, but they felt like this is a guy who they took because they felt like he can make the roster, brings a skill set they felt like could get, you know, maybe give him a shot at being, you know, either special teams or, you know, their sixth defensive back, whatever they needed, or tenth defensive back, depending on how many uh, you're rostering. Uh, sixth corner, you know, safety, slot guy, whatever. So uh, I, I thought it was very intriguing as far as how they let you in on their picks and when to take best player available, um, you know, when guys are in the mix for best player you know, at a position, uh, you know, they were looking at wide receiver at 54, but none of the top wide receivers that they had ranked made it down to them. You know, they felt like teams snatched it up. In fact, that was another insight of watching the Bean Pressers was there was a lot of value that didn't that got kind of snatched up early. Like, they felt like the there was not a lot of surprises. Like, you usually get a lot of wild cards thrown in there, right? Like, kind of like a boom, ah, shit. Like, they took some random dude and guys fall. Well, like, AJ Epinesa fell, but... There were guys, you know, sometimes you get more guys fall because, like, oh, they took some rando out of nowhere. And I guess maybe because of COVID this year, guys stuck to their board. They didn't get, like, wooed in by, like, an amazing interview process. Like, okay, like, you know, they stuck to the tape. And they said, well, you know what? Like, they didn't get blown away at a pro day or something. So, uh, you know, they 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 even went to, the, like, the how they were de- basically developing and designing their team, um, drafting towards – winning your division and conference and your, your opponents for the year and how they kind of were stylizing to what they were trying to do. Uh, I actually, again, I think I thought Bean was probably one of the more interesting GMs to listen talk, right? GM, uh, some GMs are not fun to listen to um, or very hard to like sit there and, you know, like Ballard was kind of a, a hard one to listen to sometimes, um, but decent. He's still good and very, very smart. Bean's very smart, but he, I felt like he was very like casual with it, if you will. Um, I, I very enjoyable and very willing to like not always give you every part of, part of the strategy, but gave you some insight into what he was maybe looking at doing. Like I said before, they didn't really reach for need too much, but if you know if you had two fourth rounders on the table. Uh, two guys in the fourth round grade, and one guy was way lower on the fourth round grade, but you needed that position more. That's kind of where they were looking at it. Um, uh, and uh, again, they felt like uh, uh, they also gave us a little bit of insight on how they were doing their UDFA uh, negotiations. And I think I kind of want to do a technology episode about what COVID's kind of done, how it pushed. Uh, some of these teams into certain positions because they were talking about how their guys designed an app to help them uh, communicate what UDFAs were getting signed at what point while, like when they were doing all this. So that Brandon Bean didn't have to be involved with necessarily signing UDFAs. So, or, you know, give the clearance pretty much right away. Uh, there was color-coded. It would tell you, you know, what players were like, how far along they were in the negotiating process, what other teams were uh, they were negotiating with necessarily that they were that the agent was telling them they were negotiating with, uh, whether they were still in the running, what level, like how many, how much money and bonus were you authorized to give out for this particular player? Again, I thought this was very interesting. We're starting to hear different ways that the teams are utilizing technology and uh, utilizing all like these kind of methods to. Uh, boost their productivity, and it's something that maybe the adaptation to COVID stays in the long term. Like, this might be an app they keep using for years on end. I thought this was an intriguing maneuver on their end, and it, it allowed for communication to be quicker, more efficient, and just allowed them to go ahead and do the UDFAs a lot quicker and be more efficient with how they were handling everything. 
Uh, they also talked about, again, this is why I loved Brandon Bean's presser, because he gave you information as far as um, patience with trading up and trading down. For instance, this is the first Bills draft that since uh, Brandon Bean took over where there was no trades. And, you know, he's talking about, like, you know, if they have a real need at a position and a guy with a great grade, they're willing to trade up. Uh, they didn't really have a guy with a need at a position. You know, they talked about, you know, some some of the schools, like Iowa with A.J. Epinesa, like knowing that coming out of that program, you feel really good about the guy. Uh, injury and how injury would knock somebody down a board, where if it's an ACL, it might be a couple of rounds, or if it's a shoulder, you might not come back till October. Well, maybe that will be like one round. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of interesting talk and a lot of discussions uh, on as far as just methodology with how Bean operates a draft that you don't usually get as much insight on when you listen to some of these pressers. Some of the GMs are very tight-lipped, you know, Patriots style. Some just don't, probably aren't even acknowledging these are real things that people talk about. Sometimes it's the question. Sometimes just some of the reporters. And how the GM is willing to answer some reporters. I just felt like the 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 back and forth was very uh, at ease, and just Brandon Bean was willing to give you an insight in how the operation was working. I thought this was very good. I liked listening to Brandon Bean. Um, I feel like this is a very good roster. They had a very uh, good off season. Um, you know, they lost a couple of guys. They lost Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, but they also re-signed Quentin Spain to a three-year deal. They signed Daryl Williams, former Panthers tackle. They signed E.J. Gaines, the cornerback. Uh, I feel like it's a very good death piece is when he's healthy. He's played really well. You have him compete with Josh Dorman opposite Trey White. Uh, you got Vernon Butler, formerly of the Panthers. A lot of former Panthers guys. Um, Quentin Jefferson, formerly of the Seahawks, to a two-year deal. They signed Mario Addison, formerly of the Panthers, to a three-year deal. Uh, A.J. Klein, formerly of the Saints, to a three-year deal. And they signed Josh Norman to a $6 million one-year deal. Uh, they, you know, like I mentioned before, they traded for uh, Stephon Diggs. They, uh, they signed Brian Cox, defensive end, uh, formerly of the Browns. And, uh, you know, kind of uh, and they also signed uh, UDFA Trey Adams out of Washington, a guy who a lot of people thought was going to be a first round pick coming into the year, uh, had some injuries, never really came back to full strength. That's a guy who, if he makes the roster, sticks to the team, could be a very good death piece for them down the line. Um, you know, he's had some good games in his in his film. So that's a guy who, again, like now they're they are a destination for some players. Yeah, I feel like their offensive line, uh, a, a position that two years ago was not very strong, is now probably one of their strongest positions in uh, for their whole roster. But whether you're talking about Spain or Williams or uh, or the or Morris, Mitch Morris, who ended up being very good for him this year, uh, Cody Ford, who's played well for him, they just got a lot of good pieces that they've managed to keep on this roster and, and just keep on building. Uh, Ed Oliver did get a DUI with a weapons charge um, over the weekend. L listen, I don't like commenting on, I, you know, I did the Seahawks and Giants episode last week, and then all of a sudden, literally the day it releases, uh, uh, what was it, Dunbar and, uh, and DeAndre Baker both get arrested for weapons charges. Uh, no, uh, armed robbery, sorry, yeah. And again... I don't like commenting on it because uh, I happen to understand that a lot of those cases uh, are very all over the place, right? So, like, for instance, Ed Oliver, right? Misdemeanor DWI or DUI or low-level DUI. Um, some states, like, again, I, some states don't even have DUIs as a, as a crime. Some states have them as a misdemeanor. Um, sometimes it's a traffic infraction. So, with, you know, he, he had a low-level DUI. But he had a gun in the car, he had a weapon in the car, wasn't registered, whatever it is, he, he, he had a weapons issue. It's very possible, again, you're living in Texas, it, it might get thrown out. Like, again, we're, we're talking about stuff like, okay, DUIs are a big deal, but they're not as big of a deal as people, you know, if, if it was just a DUI, nobody would be even paying attention. They'd be like, he got a DUI, that freaking moron at Oliver. But nobody would talk about him not potentially being at the virtual offseason like they're talking about with some of these players. And again, like you're in Texas, a lot of guys have guns in Texas. I, I don't have a gun. I, I don't live in Texas, but now that's the only place where people have guns. Uh, maybe I do. I just, uh, don't come near me. Bye. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, I'm just saying. So for something like that, I don't really like particularly talking about cases. Although, like, I, it has to be addressed. 
there's a lot of opportunity for this to go different ways. We're hearing a lot now about the DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar cases as it, as we move forward, that there's new affidavits and things like that. And maybe I'll spend a day going over some of these cases as they get kind of more developed. But, like, commenting too much on the facts, like people go, oh, I can't believe these guys, this guy's an idiot, this guy's doing, what is this guy doing? You know, we just don't know, right? There's a lot of factors that go into that. Yeah, like, I, I do think that there's some of it is they aren't in structure, and that could be an issue. There's also just the fact that stuff happens. You got a bunch of people, with a lot, you know, you got a bunch of young guys with a lot of money, and, you know, at least two or three of them is going to get in trouble every year because it happens. People get in trouble. It happens. Um, and not all the times are they actually guilty of what they're being accused of. So, regardless, um, you know, it sounds like they're okay with what's going on, that they feel like he'll get it resolved because they, they are okay with him coming to virtual meetings. And not that I think that that's actually going to help you anyway if you're in a big trouble. Regardless, I just kind of like how the Bills handled things. So, um. We talked about their free agency on another episode. I just wanted to run it through, and that's why I mentioned all that stuff. Uh, so other than that, like, I think their roster is really good. I Like I said before, man, if you have a shot to listen to Brandon Bean talk, go do it because he's willing to let you in on some insight. He's willing to give you the idea of like, oh, this is what how you build a roster. This is how you are develop, utilizing technology to your advantage. Um, they also had a... Uh, you know, if you look at their roster, right, talked a bit about it, right, their receivers. They have uh, Diggs and Brown and Cole Beasley. They uh, they still don't really have a lot of depth at receiver. Uh, those top three guys are really good. Um, beyond those three guys, it's kind of a weird mix of, like, Isaiah McKenzie, um, Duke Williams, Robert Foster, Ray Ray McLeod, guys who are, like, you know, and guys who they drafted this year. Kind of a weird mixture of dudes. You're not entirely sure how they're going to play. Uh, you look at their tight ends. They got Tyler Croft, who they signed last year. Dawson Knox, who was a, a second-round pick last year, a third-round pick last year for them. Uh, offensive line, John Feliciano, Cody Ford, Mitch Morse, Quinn Spain, Deion Dawkins, Ty Insecki, Darren Williams, Evan Bohm they uh, signed as well, um, Spencer Long. They have a very good – they have very good depth as far as their offensive line goes. Uh Josh Allen has a lot of good pieces around him, right? Offensively, and they, they got a lot out of him. They they schemed it up really well, and he showed growth last year. I'm impressed. I'm impressed with how they've developed him. I'm impressed with their coaching staff. I'm impressed with Daryl Bevel. I'm impressed with how Josh Allen's developing. He still needs to go further. He still needs to get better at certain things, but he has gotten better at certain things. He's no longer... You know, just utilizing his athleticism, he's kind of he's learning how to throw. And he's been getting better at throwing. You know, in the intermediate areas of the field, he's still having a hard time with uh, deep ball accuracy. But again, those are things you can develop. I like what I see from this roster. I love this coaching staff. I'm a huge fan of Sean McDermott, and I like the Bills. I'm like a like a far off like if I didn't love the Browns, like the Bills would be my next team. Like I like the Bills that much. I think the Bills are. Are a very intriguing team. I've, you know, it's another one of those teams that's a downtrodden franchise. Now they're on the upswing. I like how they've helped build up this roster, how they've built up this defense. And let's talk about this defense, right? They got Trent Murphy, who I think might end up losing his job eventually because you just look at all the other guys there, right? Starlet Tulele, Ed Oliver, Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, AJ Epinesa, like the, a lot of good players here, you guys. Uh, Harrison Phillips, uh, you know, linebacking core, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, A.J. Klein. Uh, they filled out the linebacking core. Trey White, Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde were the keys to that secondary becoming so good so quickly. Their high-end play and their signings turned this team around. And then the drafting of Trey White, those three guys – are the keys to their defense, and they show, and they and they even reward them for it. They just re you know they just extended Poyer. I love these guys. I love their players. I love how they utilize them, and I love how they have an idea and a mindset of what they want to go for as far as developing their team. You know the 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 rest of their cornerbacks. They got Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, EJ Gaines, uh, Taron Johnson. Uh, again, they are building out the rest of the roster, and it, there doesn't really seem to be a true weakness here. Maybe the corner opposite Trey White 
But again, I don't feel like it's that bad of a weakness. We're going into this year. I think they do need to kind of find another guy eventually who could be the future opposite of him. But everything else here is great. I like this team. I like Sean McDermott. I think he's a great coach. I like his defensive scheme. I think they've gotten the most out of this roster, and they keep on doing more and churning the roster and just making it better. Um, I think the Bills. I think there's a reason why people are talking about the Bills as a playoff contender now, as like a as a as a leader of the AFC East, uh, as far as potentially being a dominant force in the in the AFC in general. Uh, and potentially even maybe getting into a Super Bowl, uh, you know, if, if all things crack right. I like this team. I like McDermott. I like the Bills, and I like their draft, man. I, I, I've not always agreed with every move that Bean and McDermott have made, but, man, dude, they are proving me wrong. They're proving me wrong. Listen, they know shit more than I do, so let's go with the uh, Bills are good. The Bills are good. So we talk about the Bills. The Bills are good. All right, let's talk about the, the Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, everybody, with Andy Reid and Hunt and uh, Veach, uh, Brett Veach, right? So, uh, yeah, let's talk about them. Let's talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Um, first off, yo, if there was a team that was attacking my heart, Right, like maybe didn't always pick guys at the best value, but was definitely attacking players I liked. It was Kansas City, uh, first round pick, pick thirty two. They take Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Man, if you know anything about me, you know I like myself some Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I like him. I like him like that. Mm-hmm. Dude is a good pass catcher of the backfield. Good lateral movement. Uh, very good vision. He was a driver of the offense and LSU. He was one of the three pieces of the LSU offense that made it work. And I'm telling you this much, him going to Kansas City, oh, my God, that's scary, sir. They don't care about defense. They said, screw it, we're just going to do offense. But we're going to do offense in a way that makes everybody afraid. Now, I know people are like, well, you know, they don't. Pat Mahomes isn't going to check it down. Dude, you got Clyde Edwards a layer wide open. You're going to throw it to him. Right, he's gonna get you 15 yards. He's gonna get do very well. He's gonna break tackles. Uh, and now listen, he's not gonna get handed the starting gig right away, but he's definitely better than Darrell Williams, right? Uh, you know, I, I think Pat Mahomes is great. I think they got a good receiving core. I think they got a lot of weapons. Uh, they're gonna continue to churn the uh, the offensive line talent on this roster, right? They got they even drafted a, an offensive lineman in the third round called Lucas Niang, another guy who I really like. Uh, at a TCU. Uh, again, a guy who had he not had injuries, you probably could look at him. He probably would have went much higher in this draft, but because and is held up against Chase Young and and uh, and Nick Bosa. Uh, again, very good player. Uh, you know he, you know people were confused with his footwork. I think that was because some of his tape showed him uh, currently because uh, he got injured re uh, not really like late. He he got, he got injured during the season. But he was playing through the injury for quite a bit, and then he eventually went out. If he did not have that injury, I'm pretty sure, and he had to play the full season healthy, he would have been a top first-round pick, probably. First round, top 50 pick, hands down. Um, he was that good of a player when he was healthy. And then, you know, some of his tape looks kind of weird to people because they're like, what's going on with his footwork? And part of his footwork problem was he was injured. It was, you know, you had to kind of change the way. Like, it was really hard for him to play. Now, if you look at tape from the year before, it looks a lot better. Um, and even so, when he was playing, even with the, the weird footwork and the, the torn labrum in his, in his hip, he was still pretty darn good. So... Um, Brett Veach was very uh, intrigued. You know, so we'll talk about Edwards Alaric for a little bit again, then we'll go down the list. Um, worked through the pocket of players who saw that might be there at 32. Um, they felt like he's a unique player with unique talent. He, they felt like he was the best player available. He's extraordinary. Um, good interior running ability. Plays the game with motion. Lateral ability. Has all the traits. Explosive. Can make something out of nothing. I agree. I agree with all these statements. Yes, you and me, Veach, we're on the same page. Um, when working through final wave of the process, uh, they sent Andy Reid some of the, the, the clips of like, hey, you know, you might like this guy. And he's like, dude, this guy is better than Brian Westbrook, a guy who Reid personally has had uh, dealings with. And, uh, you know, 
he's an all-business player, loves the game, picks it up very quickly. He's going to come in and learn the offense. Uh, high football IQ, high character guy. Uh, Ed Orgeron talked about him to all the coaches and was like, this guy's amazing. <laughs> um, and he's going to he's gonna allow you to spread out uh, a lot of the defenses, right? Not just with his route running, but again, he's a very east-west kind of player. Um, good lateral ability. Their guys are all moving fast, good moving downhill, downfield. You know, you got McCall Hardman, you got Tyreek Hill, you got uh, Travis Kelsey. So you guys got, you know, you now have, basically you are playing five wide on every play, right? You now, you are full on open every play. There's always a weapon or a piece on the field that you can throw to if you are Pat Mahomes. They are surrounding him with talent. Um you know, and it was just it was a very good uh, situation. Uh, you know, he he could fit a, a a gap scheme, a zone running scheme. Kansas City runs a little bit more gap power um, than say some other teams, but they run zone as well, and it very a very very uh, diverse running scheme as well. Uh, round two, they took Willie Gay Jr. Right. They felt like he was a first-round value player. We hear this all the time from teams. This guy's a first-round value who's high on our board. I think they really meant like they really liked the player. Very athletic. He only played five games because he had a suspension. Um, but they did their homework on him. They, they kind of figure out the issues at college. They talked to the coaches, got an idea of his background. They feel like their linebacking room and Spagnolo and everybody there is going to make him better and keep him grounded. And listen, you know what? Uh, they they really like the player. He's really athletic. He's going to be an addition to. He got faster on defense now. Um, again, like Spagnolo's defense, it's got uh, you know it, it it takes time to learn. You know now they got another year in there. They have another guy who's going to fit into that defense. You know, it took. You know, now you have a scheme that you are now running. You're in the second year of this defense. Now you're starting to pull pieces to go ahead and stick in there and get your best productivity out of it. Meanwhile, really, what you're just doing is trying to just play decent defense for a while. You have their, your amazing offensive explosion of flavor, known as the Pat Mahomes Kansas City Chiefs offense. Um, you know, I mentioned before uh, they they took Lucas Niang. Um, he's going to probably compete for a guard spot, they said. I thought that was very intriguing. Um, but they're really looking for him to be the long-term answer at tackle at some point, potentially. Uh, what they'll do is probably cross-train him. You know, if he makes it onto the ones, he'll be a guard on the ones, and then he'll probably play at tackle at the on the twos and the threes. Um, you know, they felt like depth and speed at linebacker was a need, depth at O-line was a need. Remember, last year, there were a lot of injuries on the offensive line. Um, they did need to play Cam Irvin at tackle. So whenever you have to play Cam Irving at tackle, you know you need better offensive linemen. That guy was drafted to be a center by the Browns. And now you're playing him at tackle on the Chiefs. Uh, that's kind of how guys like Pat Mahomes get injured. So now they've, you know, they're adding more to that roster. Also, apparently he's fluent in French, which uh, Le, Le, uh, Levant Duvernay actually is also fluent in French, apparently. Apparently, they have a whole French-speaking offensive line. They could do some pretty cool play calls. That's going to be intriguing. They're going to be like, uh, shock on me, blue. Oh, all right. So that's, uh, we're going to shoot the protections to, to the left. Wee-wee. Anyway, speaking of wee-wee, um, <laughs> don't know why I said that. Uh, you know, uh, Chase Young had a hard time <laughs> playing against Lucas Niang, apparently. He had actually mentioned it from when they did play each other. Um... Let's move on to the, you know, they, they also uh, had drafted safety corner Legereus Sneed uh, in the fourth round, was the top of their board on day three. They drafted uh, Mike Dan out of Michigan, uh, round five. Uh, they took Thakarius uh, Keys, who they traded back into the seventh round. They traded a six-rounder pick next year to get back into the seventh round because um, they looked at the draft, how he was falling, traded a future six for the seventh in this draft because they knew he was going to get drafted. And they figured next year they're going to have some compensatory picks there and weren't too worried about losing out on that. And they like him. They feel like he fits their uh, press man scheme, which is kind of what they're trying to run down in Kansas City. So they'll fill out their roster there. They feel like he can make the roster. Um, they like him. They feel like uh, Dan is going to give them some uh, versatility and options on the defensive line rotation. 
uh, you know, now they're move they moved to that four three. They, you know, have guys who are gonna start filling out that roster as well, be able to play tackle or, you know, play like three tech or play uh, you know, base D end. Um and again, this is I, I feel like they really uh were they 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 didn't need to really do a lot to make this team better, right? Like they they were already so good, but they needed to stay on top of it. And you look at their first three picks; I think they did very well. You got an athletic, uh, rangy linebacker who is going to be working with Anthony Hitchens and Tyron Matthew, and they like playing these three safety looks. And now you're going to have a very athletic linebacker to throw in there as well. Um, you know, maybe utilize him in the blitz a little bit too. Again, he's fast as hell. Uh, so their defense, they're, you know, they're building out the defense a little bit, making it hard to throw through the center of that defense. Um, and then they, you also have the, again, you, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who is going to be adding a, an aspect to this offense that you just did not have that is, you know, like maybe the missing link, right? Like, oh, we, we won the Super Bowl, and the one way we can get better was we got a guy who basically is a receiver out of the backfield, but also an amazing runner with great vision and great lateral quickness and also quite honestly good uh contact balance so I, I honestly like I have mixed feelings on value for those first three picks but not too much I like all three players a lot every time I've seen bits and pieces of these three players they were players that I wanted to go to my own teams at some point like teams that I really really liked so Kansas City man you guys are just building on strength man. you are getting a better better team uh, continue uh, dominating in the Super Bowl. Let's talk a bit about their free agency, right? They signed Taco Charlton after he was released by Miami. They uh, they signed Rashad Breland to an extension, who unfortunately is having some legal troubles of his own. Um, they released uh, Colquitt, the punter, who I believe retired anyway. Uh, after that, they franchise tagged Chris Jones. They signed DeAndre Washington. They re-signed Demarcus Robinson, the receiver, to a one-year, $2.3 million deal and restructured Sammy Watkins' contract. I guess that helped keep both of them on the roster. Um, so now their receiving core is pretty much uh, still very good and still pretty much the same as what they were going in with. Uh, they signed Ricky Seals-Jones, the tight end who's been on Arizona and the Browns. He's kind of going to be like a tight end three. Maybe he makes the roster. Maybe he's a special teams guy. Um, very... You know, matchup weapon, you know, if you want to play two tight end sets a little bit more. They signed Mike Remmers, formerly of the Giants and the Panthers and the Bears. Oh, my. What? No, he wasn't on the Bears. Um, I think he's on the Vikings at one point, though. So, uh, again, another offensive tackle who they wanted to go ahead, grab, stick on their team. Maybe he'll play a little bit of guard as well, compete for a spot on the roster. So now you have him kind of being like, he's kind of the late stage version of Lucas Niang, actually. He's just kind of, but they didn't know they were going to get Lucas Niang where they got Lucas Niang. So, Gives them some depth and some versatility on the roster. He's going to go ahead and convert to guard as well. So let's talk about the roster, right? We talked about the free agency. We talked about the Chiefs, uh, you know, re-signing Robinson, restructuring Watkins. They, uh, you know, they did a lot of moves in free agency as well as in the draft as to filling out the offensive line room. Let's talk about it, right? They, and, they, by the way, they still have Mitchell Schwartz. They still have Laurent duvernay terriff they have Austin Ryder, who's going to play uh, center for them. They get Nick Alighieri. I don't know who he is. Uh, sounds like the Dante. It sounds like Dante Alighieri is uh, the guy who wrote Dante's Inferno. His brother, um, Eric Fisher, their left tackle. Um, like I mentioned before, they had signed right Mike Remmers in free agency. They drafted Lucas Niang. So they got a lot of pieces there. that They're going to go ahead and uh, let's say Daryl Williams. But that uh, oh, Daryl Williams uh, is an offensive lineman they drafted. They got in free agency at UDFA. Um, so yeah, again, they're they're adding to this offensive line because again, we saw they had depth issues last year, uh, going in their run up to the the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Uh, and trying to get guys on cheap deals because again, you're gonna have to re-sign, uh, Pat Mahomes. You know, probably Eric Fisher or uh, Schwartz are probably coming to the end of their deals soon. So that's why you draft Lucas Niang, you develop him, and maybe he goes ahead and becomes, you know, your tackle of the future at a position. Or at least he's a depth piece that can play tackle as well. Like I said before, you got Patrick Mahomes. They got some interesting pieces as far as uh, 
you know, receiver. They got Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, McCall Harmon. Those are the kind of the guys that potentially contributed last year. Um, they didn't really add many other pieces that make you think that there, there is going to be much more competition for those spots. Um, Travis Kelsey, still Travis Kelsey. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Damian Williams, Darwin Thompson, all going to be very interesting players. I think, and Elijah McGuire, former Jets, going to be there too. Um, I think the Darwin Thompson thing, right? That's a guy who I was like hoping would end up sparking up this year. Probably not going to be the case now that you have uh, Damian Williams, Darwin Thompson, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. That you never really know. Uh, guys pop at all different times. Um, Offensively, man, it's still good. I still think the weakest link for the offense is probably still through the offensive line, especially through that interior. Uh, but I do think the pieces that they got helped go ahead and fill out that room. Um, defensively, uh, I think it's going to be an underrated defensive. Like, the the defensive line is kind of underrated, right? They have Alex Okafor, kind of more of a run-defending D-end, uh, you know, formerly of the Saints, who they, you know, they had for the past year. Now he's going to be in his year two with the Chiefs. Uh, they have Chris Jones, uh, franchise tagged, uh, Derek Nottie, who played nose tackle for them. who's played pretty well at nose tackle for him, actually. Uh, Frank Clark, uh, who they traded for from the Seahawks, who really hasn't been the piece that they were thinking he would be when he came over. Uh, Breland Speaks, Kalen Saunders. Kalen Saunders is another guy who rotates in at D-tackle, oftentimes even at nose tackle at points. Uh, Mike Pennell, Tano Pampasenko. Too many freaking consonants in his name, Compassino. Um, they signed, like I said before, Taco Charlton. That's an intriguing piece that maybe, like, again, you need edge rushers. You lost Emmanuel Agba. He went to the, the Miami Dolphins. Not that he did a lot for them, but, you know, they, they do need to fill out the roster at certain spots, and that was a high upside pick, a guy who can maybe make the team and potentially be a rotational edge rusher for them. Um, and can actually probably play ba base DN for him as well if he, you know, got stronger. I I, I think he, there was some, I don't know, I think there was some, like, locker room, like, in, in between the ear stuff. Not that I'm saying he's a bad guy or he's a bad learner. I'm just saying it, it seems to me that there's not a, uh, there not it has not been cohesion between him and the two coaching staffs. Let's put it that way. Um, linebacking core, you know, you got Damian Wilson, uh, Anthony Hitchens, you know, Willie Gay Jr. now. Uh, corners, right? They got uh, Chavaris Ward, who they're looking to see is take a step forward. They didn't really address corner uh, very much in the draft like I thought people thought they would. Um, I think that was probably why people might have looked at the Alaire pick or even the Logan Wilson pick and went, really? You could have went for a different player, a different position, a different point. Um, but still... Uh, I think their safety room is their safety room is kind of where they have a lot of uh, good depth. You know, they got Juan Thornhill, they got Tyron Matthew. Uh, Juan Thornhill is coming off an ACL though, so we have to see how that how he develops with that. And I had a late ACL as well. Rashad Breland, we mentioned he's having some legal troubles right now, so we don't know when he's going to be really playing for him. Um, I could see them going for somebody in free agency, like a cheap one-year deal. Maybe they re-sign Mo Claiborne. Maybe they sign Eli Apple. Um, some other, you know, free agent corners, Dar Darquise Denard. You know, they seem to like the slot cornerback kind of, you know, turn them into something else kind of hybrid maneuver for them. So maybe they go ahead and go for some uh, other pieces to add to that cornerback room if they can get them on like a one- or two-year deal at a cheap rate. Uh, safety room, I kind of like the safety room. Again, if Juan Thornhill comes back healthy, uh, Armani Watts, I kind of like him as like a safety linebacker hybrid, play strong safety really well. He was drafted by them last year, uh, but again, like now you, I, I think the defense, you know, defense is definitely still the weakness. Corner is definitely still a weakness on this team. In fact, I feel like it's been the the weakness on a lot of the teams I've been talking about in that because they didn't get to address it in the draft, and that corner is a hard position to fill out. So. Um, you're looking at guys to take step forwards, but even still, there's nobody here who they drafted relatively high who you're expecting to take a step forward. Uh, maybe like Chaveris Ward, I think they're expecting to take a step forward, but not like, I don't know. I don't think he's really like the kind of guy who you're really like, oh, this is a star guy who they're thinking is going to take a step forward. So they really do need to fill out the, the corner uh, room on this roster. D-line's pretty good, though. Uh, linebacking core we've seen can you know has some potential here. Uh, Hitchens kind of more of a, a run you know run stopper, uh, two down thumper. 
but they've got some pieces here. Um, overall, again, wouldn't be shocked this team makes it back to the Super Bowl this year. They're a repeat uh, offender, if you will. Uh, last year they had some hardships with some injuries, and they still made it to the Super Bowl. So imagine if this team was totally clean, healthy going into the year, and you know Mahomes is healthy the whole time, and now every piece was kind of like a little weird. Um, you know, there were pieces that I thought they, there were guys they could have drafted that I thought would have been good additions to this roster. Um, like I said, corner, there were some decent corners, especially where they took Allaire, uh, and even they could have traded up in the second round. I felt like they could have taken, you know, Fulton or, uh, you know, Jalen Johnson, uh, Trevon Diggs. There were guys available that I thought were good fits for them at certain points. They didn't go for, and so they, you know, again, uh, what does that mean to me? I think it means, like, listen, we got firepower, we got offense, and you saw them piece it together on defense last year. I think that's going to be the plan. We're going to piece it together on defense as much as we can, and if that, you know, and worst comes to worst, if that fails, we've got an offense that can fire on all cylinders at any given time. We could break a game. So, listen, I, I like the Kansas City Chiefs roster. I like what they've done. I like the team. Uh, I'm looking forward to this year. They're going to dominate again. Uh, if you want, follow the podcast at DraftVice on Twitter, at DraftVice underscore football on Instagram. You can follow me at B-R-O-J-O, death is in the end of life. Punch like that thing you drink in the summer. And uh, like, follow, subscribe. I've done a bunch of these videos at this point. Um, I've done one on the Cowboys. I've done them on the, the basically every AFC East team. No, I haven't done all the AFC East teams. I've done all the NFC South teams. Um, so, uh, Falcons, Saints, Panthers, Tampa Bay, I've done the Chargers, I've done Jacksonville, uh, the Saints, I mentioned the Saints, um, uh, yeah, so go ahead, check it out, I got the Lions as well, they, they were a fun one to talk about, the Raiders, by this point, the Raiders have been up, uh, so yeah, check out all those videos and subscribe, I also have a new project, probably by the time this comes out, it'll be a day from the release of the first video, I'm hoping, I'm saying this, it's called Punk Law 101, look it up everybody, um, it'll be on this channel, so, uh, it'll be on the channel for the YouTube, go ahead, check it out, have fun, and have a nice week, and I will be right back. I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous, I'm about to pass, I'm about to be